Keep in touch with the Wolf Connection podcast on our Instagram handle at the Wolf Connection pod or email us your questions, comments, and guest ideas to podcast at wolfconnection.org. Thank you for your support and howls to you all. Welcome to the Wolf Connection podcast. I'm your host, John Calvin. We have another awesome photographer here with Stephen and I. He is based out of Utah in the Salt Lake Valley. He's been photographing for three years. He's also a volunteer in the marketing uh, department or part of the organization for Utah Mountain Lion Conservation, another organization that um, I find really doing some really awesome things for mountain lions there in the state of Utah. He is Ben Bloom. Ben, it's great to have you and to discuss some of your awesome photos. How you doing, my man? Doing very well, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be here, guys. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, no, it's it's good to always have uh, people like you who shoot, who photograph, you know, ethically and and take the wildlife into consideration every time you go out there and and get these beautiful photos. Just tell everybody, Ben. Where I mean, are you a native uh, Utah in? I think that's how it is. Or did you move there? What's you know? Where did you grow up? What was your background? How did you get into photography? Seeing that uh, you've been doing this for about three years, you said. So where did this all come about? Yeah. So uh, it is Utah. Uh, Thank you. Utah, or, or whatever. Uh, it's it's hard. It's hard to pronounce. Um, and no, I I actually grew up in the on the East Coast in Massachusetts. Uh, sleepy suburb town that's like 25 miles outside of boston nice. um it's called medway we're famous for being the town next to where the marathon starts um and i've been out uh i've been out west for for 10 years now um a bit, kind of bounced around um i've lived in i've lived in colorado i've lived in in idaho for a very brief time and i've been in utah for five and a half years so um yeah, I, I uh, as soon as I graduated from high school, I, I came out. I came out west, um, and and very quickly fell in love with with the mountains, with nature, hikes, um, and and wildlife out here. Um, it, it's it's not like any other place in the country that I've ever been to. I, I feel like I've traveled a decent amount, and um, the East Coast just just wasn't it for me anymore. And and I you know went to school and, and have since been in a, in a pretty good job um in in marketing but um uh, from photography uh that actually I, I kind of happened upon it um i i've been a, a lifelong animal lover um but i actually like i just i kind of randomly asked for uh like a camera for christmas um this is probably six or so years ago um and my my parents got me a dinky little um Canon starter camera. I don't even know what, I don't even remember what kind of camera that was, but, um, yeah, we, I, I got this like 70 millimeter lens. Um, it couldn't take anything besides landscapes and I kind of forgot about it, um, for, for many years. And then, um, I actually, um, was, was dating somebody that was, uh, a, a wildlife and wildlands conservation major. And she kind of ignited this, this, uh, like photography of, of wildlife passion in me. We like, I, I had never been to Yellowstone. I'd never done um, the Tetons or like glacier or anything like that. And like, we went, um, we went and did a bunch of trips and I, I had this tiny, 
just this, it, it was just a pea shooter of a camera. And I, at, at a certain point I was like, man, like we're seeing all these cool things and I, I want to capture it. And so um, I, it just kind of happened. It fell, fell in my lap, so to say, where like, if it hadn't been for like me, like, try, like just on a whim, like trying to get a camera. And if I hadn't, you know, had this, had this um, important person in my life, I, I probably wouldn't be in the in the position where I am today with, with conservation photography. When you started, what was your approach to photography? Were you just taking shots wherever stuff presented? Were you, were you going out looking for things? How did you, how did you start? Yeah. So it, it was, uh, um, basically anything and everything. Um, we had a very brief, uh, wolf encounter in the Lamar Valley in the summer of 2020. Um, and it had always been on my bucket list to see a, a, a wolf in the wild. They're my favorite animals growing up. Um, and just had always been naturally kind of drawn to them. And I, I saw one, it's just this beautiful gray wolf I'm trotting on the side of the road for probably 10 seconds because um, I was driving. And by the time we had pulled over, it had ran away uh, behind a hill. But um, from that point on, like, it didn't matter if it was, you know, like a, I mean, I, I had I didn't see wolves for for quite a while after that, but elk, moose, coyotes, foxes, bison, whatever it was, I just kind of, I just wanted, I just wanted more. And um, I, there wasn't a particular species or like purpose behind it. It was just fun um, at the very beginning. And um, I, I quickly upgraded to, to beyond my 70 millimeter to get a 300 millimeter, uh, which was slightly better. But um, at, at that point, it was just, it was still just like, I just, I just wanted to soak it all in. I just wanted to to learn and, and be out there in the parks. Um, and it was really, I took anything that I could get. I mean, I, because you're talking to two other East coasters who grew up, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, over there too. What do you, for you, and, and you kind of said it, it's just interesting that there's a lot of, I think the more people that we talk to, there's this movement of people who grew up East coast they, you know, they, they go through school, they do whatever it is. And then they're headed West. Was that, or was that always mm -hmm. something in the back of your mind being someone who enjoyed nature? You said you love wolves from, from a young age. Is that just yeah. one of those things that once I'm done, I'm out and I'm going to go to the, to the wild places? Yeah. Great question. I mean, um, as it happens, I, I left home 10 days after I graduated high school. Um, and there are many reasons for that, but, um, yeah, we we have some some family in southern Utah um, have been blessed to do some more like kind of outdoorsy nature trips as, as I was growing up. Um, but yeah, Massachusetts, like I, it never felt uh, never felt to me like that was the place where I was supposed to be or that I could grow and become the person that I wanted to become out there. I think um, especially I, I lived in Colorado for two years. Um, very like right after I, I graduated um and and that was that was a great uh kind of transformative time for me it was you know 19 years old or just turned 19 and um I, it, it every time I went back home every time I went you know for a holiday or something or to see my family 
I just felt more and more removed from the the hustle and bustle, the the, the grind culture of of the East Coast, um, you know, and and the you know, the coffee fueled rampages of traffic and all all that stuff. And so it just felt I just I just naturally grew apart from it. It felt more distant. It felt not like home anymore. Now I can confidently say that Massachusetts is where I grew up, but it's no longer home to me. Um, and, and that is because, um, of the passions and the, and the things that I have, um, in my daily life, um, that bring me so much joy that has become home to me now, um, as opposed to associating home with where, where I grew up. Totally. Yeah. I can, I can feel that when you, what I also love about you, especially in your, right in your Instagram profile is all photos taken ethically. Was that something when you started that it was it was a principle that you knew right off the bat, this is how I want to approach photography? I'm sure you were seeing things in, in the park. Maybe what, was there a specific instance or was it just who you are as an individual, Ben, that you wanted to make sure when I take these photos and share this stuff with the community for them to know I'm not impeding upon any species that I'm taking photographs of? Yeah, no, that's a that's another really good question, and I think for me, um, it's a little bit of both. Um, where where there was a moment for me, and there was also kind of an innate desire to to make sure that we, or myself, or like anyone I went shooting shooting with, um, that that we would give animals space. But um, in in the fall of 2020, I actually had a chance to to shadow um, Rick McIntyre. <laughs> for a day um and and just be be with him and be with a bunch of uh of wolf watchers um it was a it was freezing but i i learned a lot um from being with him for a day and um in fact he actually went to to umass amherst uh back home in, in massachusetts so we got we got to connect on some things but um yeah he taught he he taught by example and he also taught just like very like He's not, he's not extremely talkative. I've, I've had the chance to see him a, a several times. Um, but what he, what he taught me on that, that day, um, we we're freezing on a late October morning, um, was that animals can be wild um, as long as they're given the space to do so. Um, and his approach with, you know, like I, I'm, I'm not necessarily like a spotting scope kind of guy, but um, he, he told, I was like, how many times have you seen, you know, wolves up close? Cause I, you know, I wanted, you know, to see one like right in front of me. Like I was just chomping up the bit for, for those like rare photography encounters. And, you know, he's like, yeah, I mean, I've seen them, you know, driving in and, and whatever, but um, I really, I don't like to view them as much um, from, from like close up because I want them, I want them to not even know that I'm there. Um, I don't want them to be like, you know, conditioned to people and whatnot. And so um, that was a really great um, kind of educational, like learning experience for me. And then um, some other people that helped me um, that kind of mentored me and brought me up in, in photography, were able to also kind of instill the, the respect and the distance and um, just being able to follow like those, the part guidelines are, are super critical. Um, and, and when you do have those experiences where you are really close to a bear or a wolf or something like that, like it is, 
so important to know how to react in that in that moment. Um, and in order to photograph ethically, you really need to have experience and you really need to know what that means. And sometimes if people don't tell you what that means and explain it to you, you're not going to know. And so I, I'm really grateful to say that I, I really, you know, had, had some great people teach me um, really what I think is the right way to do it. And of course, we've talked to, you know, all the great photographers we have, we have had on have mentioned ethics it's clearly a theme, but the, the fact that, and, and we're not like in the photography, wildlife photography community enough to know the, the other side. Yeah. So the fact that everyone, yeah. at least that we're talking to is mentioning ethics implies that maybe the other thing runs rampant to some degree, or is it, is it, is it a big problem? I mean, like, how do these things manifest? Like, what have you seen in the field? Like, what are, what what are we talking about? For sure, yeah, no, yeah. Um, I, so there are there are definitely like guiding companies, tour companies, and whatnot, um, and and you know professional photographers that um, I think myself and several other people that you've had on the podcast would would call that unethical. Uh, some of these people would be unethical because they use um, do a few different things. You can have people that just use calls to like unnaturally move the animals into a place that they, they wouldn't be. Um, a huge problem is baiting. Um, and that, that is not great. And then there's also, you know, like you got the Torrons of Yellowstone Instagram it's account. That's, account. <laughs> uh, people, people just violate. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing account. Um, you have people that just, that just really cross the line and, and they're not baiting or, or using like, you know, calls or anything, but um, just, just a very quick anecdote on that. Like I was exploring the, the, the opportunity of going to Canada this past February and doing like a lynx photography tour or like a, a tour that featured um, lynx in it and also potentially wolves um, up in like kind of, yeah kind of halfway up uh british columbia and it looked super great it was it was decently affordable i i won't name the the person um who's in charge of this company but uh one of the i, w I went to the google reviews and one of them was was talking about how the only way that they found the animals was um by laying out food out in the middle of the wilderness and staying in a blind behind the the food and waiting for waiting for lynx or or whatever wild animal to come up and 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 start eating it so that the photographers could be at a close range and get and get pictures and so that's that's something that I am wholeheartedly against and that's not something that I I will ever do and and there's there are companies like that there there are photographers like that that use methods that are completely unnatural in order to get the shot that they really want um and it's really just what i i, I would call that manipulative and, and extremely unethical and then that's baiting is is a legal practice when it, i mean in photography i'm sure for things like hunting it it depends but sure um i, I don't know really? i don't know if it's legal or not i i just know that it's something that i'm i'm completely uninterested in doing yeah because it's pretty strange to isn't it? I mean, I wonder yeah. where we can find out about that actually, because that'd be that's interesting. I mean, just just baiting animals so you can see them essentially is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can't imagine that's uh, on the up and up. 
Uh, yeah. But we, 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 could, we should check that out though. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm kind of doing a quick search. Natural food. However, sometimes yeah. I look, there's an opinion piece. I'd have to read it, but mm -hmm. yeah, I prohibition just, on baiting only applies to big game hunting activities. It is illegal to use bait while hunting. Yeah. But using bait to simply view or photograph wilds, wildlife is acceptable. Wow. So you can't bait to hunt in Utah, but you can for big game at least, but you can bait to, to just to view them. Mm -hmm. Like if you just want to see an yeah. animal, you can, you can put out bait I mean, piles. That's pretty wild. It? Yeah. I mean, that that's like hmm. game farming. Like, I mean, you probably know about that, right, Ben? Like I remember oh, going yeah. to the game farm where it's like, oh, oh they yeah. give you some apples and the deer would just fly to the mm -hmm. next line, you know? Yeah. It's like a petting exactly. zoo where they give the kids like little Yeah, but, uh, but, yeah but in this case, you're talking about like bears and pellets. bison and stuff. You're like, hey, come on over here and, uh, you know, have some salmon yeah. I bought from the store. Wild. Okay. So, so that it, it does happen. Cause I guess we don't really ask that no. right? because everyone is obviously promoting ethical photography. Sure. But I never really asked how big of a problem are these, are these other things? Yeah. Wow. That's wild. Um, I mean, yeah, that, I mean, again, it's, and you're right, Steven, it's like we, we've, we've encountered, I mean, many, yourself included, Ben, a lot of ethical photographers who that, that is one of the first things they mention. The first things they say is we, I, whoever don't, do any of these things we give them space and all that other stuff so it's absolutely i mean as i know it's a practice out there so i'm glad that you guys are you know part of that it does explain some of the crazy photos i've seen oh, yeah. <laughs> speaking of your photos ben uh because i want to get to them uh because i know we have uh we have some time here i, I want to talk about and it's so funny because there was somebody on on instagram i think last night actually who said they were at the scene. So I want to talk about the, the two wolves and the bear photo. Cause yeah. that one like immediately struck me. Um, and I sent these, uh, Steven, I think if you can pull that up so you can see it. Um, and they were, they were like, I was there. It was an amazing thing. So just take everybody through this. Cause it looks like this was in the winter time. And I, that looks like a grizz to me. I'm not sure. Um, but just give everybody sort of a backdrop. And those of you that are listening, once again, we always do this. You will see these photos, on social media when we post about the episode so you get, all of you who are listening can follow along to the photos that ben is talking about so definitely go through this one because there's two uh black black wolves and it looks like a grizz on a, on a carcass size so just yes. set the scene and like how this one happened because this is wild yeah that definitely one of the one of the pillars of my of my photography career was that morning i believe it was april 29th or something like that i um it was, it was this past, um, April, end of April. And I, I was at the very beginning of a, of a three week, um, photography trip up in Yellowstone. Um, and that, that was just, um, being in the right place at the right time. I, I remember that I, it was, you know, crack of dawn. It was probably like five o'clock in the morning. I didn't want to get out of bed. I just, you know, been, been getting up super early to photograph wildlife for several days in a row. But I, I, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do a quick sweep through the park um, and then just go back and take a nap. Um, and so it was just past like the first rays of light when I was, uh, going, I was going through um, the upper half of the Northern Loop in Yellowstone. And um, it, it was it was just light enough to see some movement. And to my left, um in kind of this open field there was a black wolf 
trotting and heading to the direction of, of Blacktail Ponds, um, which is um, it, it's a few miles um, to the south of of uh, Mammoth Hot Springs, and I, I was absolutely just gobsmacked because I I would that was the last thing that I expected because there was a grizzly bear that had been on that carcass for that was probably the third day in a row that the grizzly had been had been there every morning and evening. Um, and it's, and it's not super common to have, uh, interspecies interactions like that, where you can have wolves or coyotes or whatever, um, trying to challenge a a bear for the carcass. And so I sped up and I'm like, man, I, I need to see this because I I had a pretty good idea of what was going to go down. And, um, there was actually plenty of people already there. And so there, there were definitely others that, that had, um, had this ex- same experience that I did, but um, at first it was just the kind of like a lighter, lighter black um, wolf that had just it came out of nowhere. But I, I saw it as I was driving, um, and it just kind of went over and stood in front of this bear, um, and they were just looking at each other, standoff. And then out of nowhere, um, this just beautiful uh, gray wolf. Um, not in this picture, but in several of my other ones, um, just kind of appeared out of out of the shadows uh, and started like trotting right up to to where this this uh, that first black wolf was, and then a young, uh, very young black wolf came um, from a from this hill um, in the background um, at Blacktail Ponds, and so we had three wolves, um, and I'm I'm pretty sure they were all male. Um, they they were just standing there looking at this grizzly on a on this kind of gnarly looking thought out bison calf carcass as a yearling bison calf carcass um, and every year in this in this area you got you get bison that fall through like thin ice in the fall and they're frozen for several months and uh, large grizzlies come back to this area every single year drag out bison carcasses and chow down for a few days and so um the gray one um kind of hung back and let these the two black wolves um approach the grizzly because they wanted a piece of that thing too um and it was just remarkable we were we were um all all in this photography line um in a at a pullout that was like kind of elevated above the the pond in the valley um and so every nobody got nobody went down uh it, to the kind of the kind of the eye level with these animals we were all like on the road um next to our vehicles and so uh, it, it was just fortunate that we we had them within photography range and um what happened after that i've, I've posted some videos on my account but essentially these wolves just started moving into the carcass and started doing a, a dance with with this grizz and they would lunge in, they'd be kind of play fighting, play dancing around, and they were just, you know, kind of tails in the air, like wagging. And they were just, they wanted that carcass. And um, though that shot um, was a was a moment right before they kind of leapt on, leapt right at the that the bear in the carcass. Um, and that bear had to, it was, it was just crazy to see like this bear was like charging them they were they were running around each other the bear was like doing circles trying to keep them away from this carcass but 
we had just come off a very harsh winter in Yellowstone, um, really high snowfall. And so food was, was definitely hard to come by. And these, the, the, my favorite thing about that image is, is the eyes, those yellow eyes of both of those black wolves, um, just piercing gaze. And that like, you could see like how determined they were to, to eventually get to that carcass, um, which, which they did. Um, but yeah, that I, I couldn't really draw up a, a better kind of Nat Geo photography moment um than than that and it's it's definitely um there, there's a lot more that happened in that encounter but um just we we had the everyone who was there just had the divine privilege of watching this go down um in in early morning light which made it even more perfect for photography um and and that that encounter lasted uh, almost an hour and a half from start to finish and it was just sensational in every sense of the word. And who, who got to keep the, the carcass in the end? Yeah. So, uh, kind of lame, the truck, like a huge construction <laughs> truck came by really loud, um, spooked the grizzly and, uh, the, the standoff ended with, with the wolves being, uh, much more composed about l- loud truck noises. And the, the, the bear just, took off across the road um and and we didn't see it again and so the wolves got free access to that carcass which is why the the encounter lasted so long um and they ended all three of them ended up being on that thing for another almost hour after the grizz left wow my my first thought when i saw the photo was how cold does that bear look? i mean <laughs> it looked that bear looks frigid cold and he's just I Absolutely. Mean, just made for that kind of temperature. <clears throat> and then my second thought was, man, this is like a really rotted old <laughs> carcass. Oh yeah. And I started to think like, I wonder if predators like eating that or if that's or they just have to. That's a great question. I wish we yeah. could find that out. It's probably no, just mean, it's probably what's available, you know. It's got to be. Exactly. You know, exactly. It took a long time for the elk to come back in the park and so those wolves are probably really happy that they they could get even even wow. this so Man. wow i think it just shows too like it's funny that you say that with the with the truck going by how i guess it feels that wolves is, we don't want to say they're habituated in the park but they they clearly are like you said i like that you were used the word composed mm-hmm. because they're probably just used to the traffic more so than probably the bears are sure and so they're like oh that's just a thing going by that's not going to come down and, and eat this thing right. <laughs> wait, yeah i guess well, you know what that, that kind of happens everywhere though doesn't it i mean like obviously there's a different level of habituation in yellowstone mm-hmm. probably i don't know i mm-hmm. mean i'm sure there's you know the in terms of b- becoming acclimated to car noise i think like that just happens one or two if it's something there's, there's one of it's something to do steven where like that you have animals getting hit by cars and they're and they come across the road and they're like, oh, this is a free meal. I didn't have to do anything. They just drag it off the side of the road and they're good to go. I'm sure Kara Cassidy will do a paper on it sooner or later. <laughs> you know what I mean? Somebody, Ben. I don't think we we asked this. Like, where? Because you talked about you. Because when I messaged you, I think a couple of days ago, you just got back from the Tetons. Where do you typically? Where do you typically photograph? Because I know you go to Yellowstone, Tetons. What, what's your what's your range in terms of photography? In, in in landscapes and things like that. 
Yeah. So um, I, a, a lot of different places. I, I think the, I, the 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 Tetons and Yellow Star are the, are the ones that I go back to um, most frequently because they're about four and a half hours from where I live. Um, and there's there's nothing like the the greater Yellowstone ecosystem um, with having so many different kinds of mammals in a in a highly concentrated um, area like like the greater Yellowstone ecosystem. But I do I do photography locally here in Utah. Um, there's there's a few canyons out. I mean we we have plenty of canyons, but there's there are a few hot spots for wildlife that I that I like to go back to. Um, I I try to go to Glacier a couple times a year. I, I didn't make it twice, only went once this year, but that's another incredible area. Um the kind of the Glacier, Waterton Lakes, um national parks, those are those are sensational. Um I, when I when I'm able to, I've I've done Banff and Jasper. Um those are also just world class. Um, hiking views, wildlife. Um, I, I did a, a nine-day trip to Alaska last year, which was sensational. Um, and I, I plan on going back to Alaska probably every every year from here on out. I, I took an off year to save up for more Alaska trips uh, in, in, the, in the future. But um, definitely, I come back to Yellowstone more than any other place um, because of wolves, because there's probably not to my knowledge, um, a better place to, to view um, gray wolves in the wild. I know that there's um, coastal uh, wolves in British Columbia um, that people you know can do tours and, and see there. But yeah, Yellowstone is probably my number one, and the Tetons are, are close behind that. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, everything else, Utah, Glacier, Waterton, um, other parts of Alberta, um, and then Alaska will be part of my rotation um, in, the, in the coming years. But I'm all over the place. I, I go I go to a lot of places. There's a lot of places that I haven't been yet that I really want to go to. Um, but I I'm, I got my hands full with those locations um, thus far. What's the one place, bucket list wise, off the top of your head, where you would want to go? Um, that was a tie for me right now between Patagonia to do a kind of that, that Puma photo tour and, 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 uh, Torres del Paine National Park and then, uh, Churchill, Canada to photograph polar, polar bears before they're extinct. Um, I, I go back and forth in my head all the time if I want polar bears or the, or the Pumas more, but those are both really far away and really expensive, which is why I haven't, haven't gotten out there yet. Yeah, it's it's all about it's all about you know getting the getting the funds together to do that stuff. But yeah, you're talking about two two species that are always you know on the on the teetering brink of endangered or threatened and things like that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Totally. Actually, we want to <laughs> Steve and I want to try and get up to Churchill also and do the uh, the wolf polar bear mm-hmm. thing because Jet. I, I don't know if you follow mm-hmm. Jad Davenport or any of their churches. Oh, it's I do. The, the I footage do. they get of these of the wolf, not only the polar bears, but the wolves up there is just absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's definitely one of those things where, you know, you're talking about they are they're right there in your purview. You want to talk about close up? <laughs> if you're looking for close up wolves, just do that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. Uh, the one I think, getting back to yours now. Okay. So I had a question with the one. So I'm going to the one, uh, Stephen, for you too, so you know where I'm at. 
the the two you have a gray and a and a black collared wolf on a carcass. Is this the same mm-hmm. carcass that the the bear was on, or is this complete? Is this a different situation? Same carcass. Same car. So this is the same one. So this is after the bear bolted, and these were this was the Correct. gray you were talking about that came out. Okay, cool. Yes. Yeah. So they're just yes. they're diving right into that thing. And again, everybody who's listening, we'll we'll put these in order so you guys know what I'm talking about. So it's so funny because this carcass didn't look like this in the other photo that you had. I didn't even know there was this much of this carcass left because I looked at it. I'm like, oh, there's nothing there. And then they pulled this thing out mm-hmm. of the lake, I guess. That's yeah. crazy. That is wild. Oh, my God. And that gray wolf is stunning. It's my favorite wolf in the park. I've got, gotten the chance to see him several times now, which is which is. I'm just beyond blessed because he doesn't get much more aesthetic than that. Is there, is that, is the gray collared or is it just a gray or, or what, where's the gray associated pack wise with, if you know? Yeah. So uncollared, um, member of the rescue Creek pack. Okay. Um, I don't know if that's the alpha male or not, but definitely one of the largest wolves that I've ever seen. Um, and, and one of the, probably one of the most important rescue creek pack wolves that are in that pack man yeah that's he's a he's a stunner he's just checking out the scene and then you got um yeah you got a couple more here i know you have and again correct me if i'm wrong but i believe i'm on the collared wolf now steven it's uh i believe this is uh 1228f is that Mm -hmm. okay yeah so where where was this taken because it looks like this I, I, it looks like this is more springtime, but I could be wrong. Um, just give everybody sort of a backdrop yeah. on this one, uh, on on twelve twenty eight F, and where where you captured this this shot. Yeah, so um, I, I've also the privilege of seeing her um, several times now. Um, she she is so the the Shrimp Lake Pack um, is a newly formed pack that is taking up the space that the Lamar Canyon pack used to, to inhabit um, kind of more on the Northeast side of Yellowstone um, towards approaching towards like cook city. Um, they're, they're very small now. She just had, um, unfortunately that they, they formed last year. Um, and the, the alpha male that she had mated with, um, since she's a, a former junction butte member, um, the male that she had mated with um, was hunted outside of the park boundaries during, during hunting season uh, this past year. And now, now she has a new um, alpha to to be her her mating pair, um, and they just had their first litter of puppies um, this past spring. And so, in, in a lot of these images that I have, I, there's some that I haven't yet posted. There's been some experiences that I've had that didn't get great shots, but you could see that she was very much nursing. Um, have just swollen teats and whatnot. Um, but she, that was taken um, over Memorial Day weekend of this year. So the the kind of the, almost a, basically a month after that, um, after the the two black wolves and the grizzly with, with some snow on it. But um, that one, that was a re- also a really special experience. Um, I was, <laughs> I, I had, you know, I had mentioned previously, I did a, did a three week trip um, to be in, in Yellowstone and then I came back you know, 10 days later to spend Memorial Day up there and uh, Memorial Day weekend up there. And I was on my way out. I just did a, a quick sweep through the through the northern loop of the park. And um, it was it was uh, a little bit too quiet, I guess. And I hadn't, I hadn't really seen anything. And um, I, I had seen I'd seen that same wolf um, 1228 F 
a few times before she she'd crossed the road and um a few few other interactions with her farther away but um that morning was was just crazy um and and she was close to uh the Soda Butte Cone area in Yellowstone um and she she was definitely like she was on a mission she was moving a lot um moving really fast and she had crossed the road um before I'd gotten to that area she was up kind of on a ridge line and I actually ran into a, a photography uh, friend of mine, um, Larry Taylor. And we, we both were kind of like, yeah, I think we know where we're going to get, where she's going to go. And we, we went further down the road to anticipate her movement. Um, and lo and behold, after about 10 minutes, she was coming down this hill uh, right to the road. And so we, we got, um, a, you know, safe distance away and, and we're just kind of guessing where she was going to cross um, and she ended up crossing uh, not once, not twice, but three times within the span of about 20 or 20 minutes, which is extremely rare. Um, she is the only wolf in that pack that is even remotely cl uh, close to being tolerant of, of people's presence. Um, her offspring from the year before and then um, her, al her, her, her alpha male partner, um, not not so much um very skittish but she she was moving and grooving she went up and approached her to bison they moved um she crossed back over the road and uh there, at that point there was a huge wolf jam and and uh larry and i went beyond the the traffic and, and went to where we thought she was going to end up um and so yeah she, we we got uh just spent tons of time with her that that specific shot was was right before she ended up crossing the road um and it was that was a very special moment for me because she she and i made made some pretty good eye, eye contact there through through the camera um it not only is it hard to photograph wolves um within a within a relative photography distance but it's also extremely difficult to get them to look at you um which which almost never happens and so that 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 shot um, is is a very special one for me, um, and and I I don't know if and when I'll ever have something like that again, where it's just hey she's she's moving she was she was trotting and just looked right at me and and uh, kept moving. But even still, like after that encounter, like there's she ended up moving uh, closer and closer um, to kind of the edge of her territory. Um, and actually had a crazy interaction with uh, with a coyote, a fa very famous coyote out of Yellowstone, called Tripod. It's got a, a lame, lame uh, uh, hind leg, and they they had their, a brush up, and coyote was chasing her out of out of his territory because he was denning with pups, and it was a crazy morning, um, and and definitely one that I'll never forget for a, a long time. Um, it's not only were, were we lucky enough to have her cross the road three times, but then we got to see her for probably another 30 minutes getting chased by a coyote and, and kind of going at this, this really bold, uh, lame coyote. Um, so it just action packed morning. Um, there's nothing, there's nothing quite like Yellowstone in the spring and, and, um, just like that, um, first encounter that I was talking about, like, just beyond um beyond blessed to have just such a such an intimate unique moment with with a wild wolf 
let's say you're you're a new photographer and you and you really want to have a good chance of photographing wolves how do you set yourself up to have the best chance of going out into the park and actually seeing wolves yeah that's that's a really great question and one that took me a very long time or at least to me a very long time to figure out um and by by the way i can i i have another probably 15 to 20 minutes beyond the hour if we, if we sure. um so yeah, so if, if I were a new photographer trying to photograph wolves, um, I would, <laughs> there, there's a few tips. Um, number one thing is it's it's more than likely a numbers game. Um, the amount of mornings and the amount of time that I've put in to Yellowstone, um, going in, into the into the places where they, they are most likely to be found, um, and coming up empty is significantly greater than the time that I've seen wolves. Um it, it's if I could sum it up, like you need you need to be able to commit to getting up before you can even fathom waking up in the morning. You have to you have to be able to be in in the right place at the right time and also do it many times. Um, I I mean you can technically see wolves throughout the entirety of Yellowstone and even technically also in the Tetons. Um, I have had the most luck in the, in the Northern half of the park um, in and around Lamar Valley, even before, like before you get there and after you, you move beyond it. Um, And another thing that's, that's also super important is making connections and getting to know people that um, are also in the parks Um, pretty frequently. I, I would would say that I'm, I'm pretty blessed to know and be friends with several awesome people that are either guides or live in the area or people that are extremely connected with other people. Um, cause a lot of the, a lot of the times that, that, you know, that you can really have a breakthrough and have a great encounter is one, if you're willing to put in the work yourself, but two, if you can, if you can learn from other people and like, if they were in the park and you weren't and they, they saw something like, Hey, you know, um, this is where, this is where I saw this thing and this happened at this time. Um, and, and so just having like making friends with people and having legitimate, genuine connections with, with people that are kind of in the know is a, is a great thing. And then another thing that I started doing the last probably year and a half is, uh, note taking and documentation of, of all of my encounters, where they were what happened and uh, what time of day that was. So that everything is dated. Like all of my wolf encounters, I have um, date and time um, and a kind of a note summary of like when it happened. Because if you really, if you don't want to rely on other people, if you don't want to be a part of a tour group or whatever, like you just need, you need to be able to anticipate movement patterns. You need to, you need to know where the, where the packs that are, are more likely to be seen um, from a not, not a spotting scope are going to be. You need to know their territory. You need to know which members of those packs are, are less skittish than others. Um, and, and being able to anticipate um, what time of year it is and like where they're going to be based on that time of year or just kind of having an approximate guess. So there, there's kind of a science to it. Um, you'll, you can never, of course, guarantee or know, but you can put yourself in, in the best situation to succeed because animals are creatures of habit. They're confined within their own territories. And just to give a very brief example of, of what I'm talking about here is like I, when I was just in the Tetons this past Labor Day weekend, um, literally on Monday, two days ago, um, I, I went at 
six thirty in the morning um, onto Moose Wilson Road and the Tetons, and the same cinnamon black bear at the exact same time for the third year in a row now was eating berries from the, from the same bush and the exact same place. And I got amazing shots of this bear that ha- had returned to the same area for literally three years in a row. It was 2021, 22, and 23. I've seen the same bear in the same spot at the exact same time in the morning. Um, and so wolves are definitely more like they move a lot more and they're much more dependent on, um, you know, the, 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 the patterns of their prey and like where the elk herds are. But you can really put yourself in a position to succeed if you document and if you put in the work and are able to be um, in the right place at the right time. And the only way that you can legitimately do that is is if you put in the work and practice document get to know people that know more than you do. Cause I guarantee you there's dozens of people that know a lot more than me um, that, that are, are in the park every day, live nearby and, and can help teach you and, and, and help, help you um, even becoming a better spotter. Like it's hard to find them. You can't see like they blend in so well. Like the only way you can get a more trained eye is by giving yourself opportunities to have a more trained eye. And so that's one where, wolves um everybody wants to see them people ask me very frequently like how like oh like i i want to see a wolf how can i do that and if you're just going to the park for a weekend you've got to be dang lucky but if you want to if you want to actually photograph one and and, and find where they are it, it takes a lot of, of preparation in order to do so yeah time determination uh, sacred timing, I think, is it's, it's amazing the amount of photographers that we've spoken to where you all seem to just attract whatever you're looking for. I know it's a lot of work and a lot, it, but I mean, it, it's just amazing the amount of photographers we've spoken to that, like, yeah, no, it just it happened this day where I was driving, like you said, you were driving up and you, you have these encounters that I think people would absolutely love to enjoy, uh, just like like you were there. Just on that, con- I want to touch on the conservation aspect for a little bit. What are some of the things that you try to, if you take this route? I know you work for Utah Mountain Lion Conservation, but in terms of wolves or, or anything else, what is, do you openly, uh, you know, get into discussions with individuals about conservation, about ethic photography? Is that something that you've added sort of to your repertoire as a photographer? when you're out and about and you see these things or you, or you talking about legislation, things like that, as it, as it goes to a lot of the wildlife in Montana. Yeah. Um, I, uh, this wildlife photography, conservation, all that stuff has basically become my personality. And so I can't help but bring it up to everyone and anyone that I, that I talk to and interact with. So, um, from like the perspective of my work and and the you know the images that I post on Instagram and and whatnot Facebook it's it it is a it is uh, it's beyond a hobby and it's become a lifestyle for me where like I, every I'm not kidding like almost every waking moment of every day I'm just I think about being back there being in the parks um, finding finding wolves uh, bears all that stuff but. Really, the, what I try to do is I try to, to provide um, I try to provide these like nonprofit groups that are that have just incredible missions. Um, Wolves of the Rockies, Realist Wolves Campaign, 
Um, even some more like smaller ones, like Western Wildlife Conservancy is, is another one that they they don't have a way to do visual storytelling. Um, they don't have the resources to do so. And so I, I try to tag and just like kind of volunteer my images um, to anyone and, and everyone that, that could use them to uh, promote um, wolf conservation or, or conservation of any species, honestly. And so I think in my day-to-day life um, here in Utah, we, we have, um, I have had discussions with people about reintroducing wolves in Utah. Um, I, I have some friends with DWR and whatnot that uh, it's challenging, but um, I, I try to be a person that that you, if you were to learn that I, I am someone that wants to conserve and protect species, that you wouldn't really be surprised that that's the person that I am. And so I do have a lot of conversations. I do, um, I, I, I do try to promote like and, and distill like all of these myths about wolves. One of them that is frequently brought up is like, man, like, uh wolves are like if we if we have wolves in montana or wyoming idaho utah colorado whatever the state is like what are the ranchers going to do and that's a that's a huge can of worms topic that that really you can't go into that with any any kind of extreme viewpoint because the only way that we're going to make progress is meeting in the middle compromise and whatnot but um the purpose of my work is really really to just to build awareness, help other other organizations and people to promote their mission. And then um, I, I really make a conscious effort to to talk to people and have that dialogue of of just understanding what people think about wolves. Um, mountain lions is a huge issue right now in, in, in Utah in particular. And so I, I try to wear it on my sleeve, but I try not to be to be overbearing about it. Yeah, I, I love what you said about visual storytelling too. I think that's something that when people see that and we've had a lot of episodes where the storytelling aspect really bridges those gaps of anyone who might be opposed or against or whatever it may be in terms of the particular species that it is, is when you understand what the animal is trying to do, essentially just live and thrive and, and feed its family and all that it really brings it to a very simplified level that I think most of us can, can get behind and understand that that's, that's really what these, these animals are trying to do well before we came to the picture and, and, and did all the stuff that we're doing. Is there a specific place, Ben, where people can, I, I know Instagram's big, but please give your, your Instagram handle. Like are there other places where people can see your photos? Um, and then any of the organizations, you know, promote Utah mountain lion conservation, any other wolf things that you want to too. So people know where to go. Yeah. Um, my Instagram handle is at Ben B wildlife. Um, that's probably my primary platform. I have a Facebook page. That's, um, the same, same handle Ben B wildlife. You type in Ben Bloom photography. Um, you, you'll, you'll be able to find it as well. Um, I am making a website. Um, I've procrastinated it for far too long. Um, but I, that is, that is literally in progress. I will have a website, um, very soon. Um, and then just, yeah, like Utah mountain land conservation. Um, we, yeah, it's a total volunteer organization. Um, and, and it's, and it's very similar to the missions of other things like 
Realist World Camp, Realist Wolves campaign where we we were trying to raise awareness, we were trying to educate and and promote um, tolerance um, through through visual storytelling, through um, you know very uh, composed dialogue. We're not we're not going to get into a political argument about about lions or anything like that, but. Um, yeah, we are we are we're really um, trying to help distill myths about these these large predators. That's that's really what a lot of a lot of these organizations or a lot of people that that have ill will towards lions, wolves, bears. It's just they just don't understand really what what the truth is and what they do and why they do it and. Um, yeah, I love the Utah Mountain Lion Conservation. Like we have some great people that do a lot of great work, and it's it's a lot of work. And so, if if anyone um, is is interested, we'd love to love to have you guys support um, and be on board to help us try to conserve our our mountain lions here in Utah. Yeah, I know there's such a huge plate. I think I think Aaron Bott was talking about that, <laughs> right, Stephen, about mountain lions in there in Utah a little bit. Um, but yeah, just appreciate everything you, you do, Ben, and the, and your photography's incredible. Guys, definitely follow his handle. Thank you. Can't wait for the website to get up there. And uh, of course, the last question for me, Ben, is when you hear the word wolf, what's the thing that comes to your mind? Oh, I just got chills when you asked for that, man. Uh, that, that is oh, that's such a good question. I, I would probably say it, there, there's so many thoughts, but um, I would probably say wild beauty. I, there, there's so many like just specific words that you can say about it, but um, captivating, um, life changing. There, there's a lot of a lot of words to describe them, but for me, on a on a very kind of deep personal level, I it's. It is just this, this, it's a call to the wild. Like I know that's a book and everything, but um, it is, it, when you look in the eyes of a wild wolf, it is, I, I can't describe what that feeling is other than it, it is transformative and it, and it really helps you like unlock the windows of your own soul and, and be able to see into nature. But they you can tell yeah, that those things you. they're highly intelligent they are they are family pack animals and they are they always have a yeah, purpose with what they do and i actually i'd probably call it purpose the first thing i think of on a, on a kind of a deeper level is every single time i've seen a wolf in the wild and every time i've i've been able to capture a picture or even just observe them it is the behavior that they're doing and what they're exhibiting is always with a very, very um, clear purpose. And, and a lot of the time it's because that is, they're doing something for their family and they're doing something to survive and they're doing something that is within a, even a, a bigger picture to preserve the balance of nature and to, and to, enforced kind of the purpose of their existence as apex predators to keep the ecosystem intact. I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, Ben Bloom, 
Thank you, my man, for everything you do. Thank you for helping mountain lions in Utah. Thank you for taking these awesome photos of everything wild. Uh, follow him on Instagram. When we post all this stuff, you guys will see these awesome photos. Ben, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time out. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. This is a great opportunity, and and I really am just grateful uh, for the time that you guys took as well. Yeah, thank you, sir. Thanks so much. How's to you all out there, and we'll be with you next time. Bye, everybody. Looking for more information about Wolf Connection or the podcast? Please visit our website at wolfconnection.org where you can donate, sponsor a wolf, or become a volunteer.